This is The Rest is PR with Lyle Fulton and Jackie Vores. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to The Rest is PR. My name, as it will always be, barring incident, is Lyle Fulton, and I am joined, as I hope I always will be, by the wonderful Jackie Vores. That intro just trips off the tongue now, Jackie. It yeah, really does. It's becoming kind of catchphrasy. Yeah, and I'm delighted it is. Um, <laughs> but I'm delighted to have you here again, Jackie, as I always am. How are you this fine Friday afternoon? Good to be back on Afternoons. Feeling good. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And I've had, I've had a lovely week, actually. I think I've got into the groove of a four-day week. So I took Tuesday off. And I went to Chelsea Flower Show, which I was, was going to ask you this. Really yeah. Good. Under normal circumstances, we would probably do an episode now. We probably have a topic that was going to be PR centric. And then we would spend the next half an hour talking about the Chelsea Flower Show. And then I would call it the rest is the Chelsea Flower Show if it was just <laughs> the two of us. But it's not just the two of us today, listeners. And we're excited that it isn't because we are joined this week by another fantastic guest hot on the heels of some of the amazing guests we've had over the past few weeks we're absolutely delighted that we get to tell these stories of these amazing people who come on our podcast and the latest is the absolutely brilliant connor mitchell now we welcome connor mitchell to the podcast and once again i'm delighted that i have to check my notes to just tell you the listeners exactly (laughs) how brilliant connor is because connor's been doing some amazing work it is as follows connor is a freelance pr and communications consultant for his sins and before he went freelance made a name for himself as one of the industry's best coverage getters it's a name that has sustained as well he is absolutely still one of those for sure before he went freelance he uh, previously worked as the uk media lead for pan-european high growth tech agency taito having initially joined as one of their earliest team members but in july 2021 so just under two years ago he decided to go it alone as a media relations specialist for B2B technology agencies and brands. First things first, Connor, welcome. How are you this fine Friday afternoon? How's it going? How's your week been? Thank you, Lyle. That's a very kind introduction. It's been a good week. It's been a really good week. First of all, always nice to see the sun shining. But business-wise, I feel like right now, going through a bit of a further evolution of how things have been over the course of the last two years, always feel like there's kind of a I don't know, each quarter or every six months, there's a kind of new wave of either different type of business or things kind of evolve in terms of fees or the kind of work I'm providing or just in a different flow. And I don't know, this week feels like I've kind of hit a new flow in that respect. And it's been a very busy week. A couple of clients on Ian King this morning, which is always fun. And then a plan to kind of go away to Liverpool this weekend for a stag do, which... Um... Yeah. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> oh, right. Well, now, I don't want to date the podcast <laughs> listeners, but I'm glad... Out of nowhere, you've mentioned stag dudes, and I'm just going to go off on a small segue here, right? I am sadly, and Sam, lovely Sam Edwards, is getting married in about a month and a half's time. If you're listening, I'm so sorry, mate. But he's currently wending his weary way to Budapest in Hungary, and I can't be there for a stag do. So I'm glad that someone gets to experience a good old-fashioned stag do in Liverpool. I've been to a stag do in Liverpool. It's absolutely a fantastic seat to go on. So I wish you, I mean, I suppose I wish you the best of luck in your travails and in your travels to Liverpool over the course of the weekend. You'll have a fantastic time. You mentioned just before we went live, Connor, and I'm keen to kind of get going straight off the bat here. I want you to kind of talk as we kind of get our guests to do early in podcast episodes, a little bit about your career so far and how you came to be doing what you're doing. But you also mentioned something brilliant before we went live on the podcast, which is that As a PR professional, Fridays are either absolutely dead or insanely busy. And so I wondered whether or not you can kind of tell us a little bit about what you do now and like your freelance career as a PR professional, but also just a little bit about how manic your day's been already (laughs) in that prison, really, if you wouldn't mind. (laughs) 
I'll tell you about my day very briefly. My mum jokingly sometimes either refer sometimes refers to my Fridays as fun Fridays because sometimes they're quiet and I think just it just so happens that sometimes she speaks to me on a Friday and she thinks I do no work on a Friday. But then sometimes they're crazy and they're manic and that just so happens to be one of these Fridays. Two clients on Ian King this morning. One of them didn't go as well as I might have hoped. One of them went incredibly well. And it, it just sometimes seems like either things kind of kick off on a Friday or things wind down. And this was just one of these ones that kind of kicked off. But through it now, we're at the other end. You know, my job is done and I'm looking forward to the weekend. But Fridays, you know, the 11th hour media requests from from someone. Always remember agency life, particularly when, when you work with clients on the um, the West Coast, the US, and you're managing something. And it was, it was always BBC World. BBC World Radio love like a Friday late interview request. But thankfully, none of those today, I hope. But it is only two forty. The day is young. The day, the day is young. Is you young. never know. You never know. <laughs> but my career to date. So I've been in PR kind of just over seven and a half years, I believe. I started initially working in a in an agency that kind of was was totally under the radar. Didn't really operate in any of the kind of conventional circles that agencies do. Working with CEOs and high net worths on their personal profile. So it's always individuals rather than companies. Individuals typically worth kind of thirty million plus. They always had a specific goal in mind. So he worked with the CEO of Australia's largest renewable energy company. He wanted to kind of get a new gig in the US, and that was why he wanted to broaden his profile kind of overseas. Worked with the CEO of a global microfinance bank. He wanted like philanthropic capital raised for for the bank. And then we worked with I, I worked directly with a chap called John Mills, who runs um, JML, which is a consumer goods company. You might see in like Ryman's, you know, yeah. shower <laughs> shoes by JML. He was like a big figure in the referendum campaign. Kind of crazy. I was six months out of university. I was kind of advising someone who who, who was worth like 100 million plus, 22-year-old. And then I ended up kind of, one of the pieces of work we then ended up getting was working with one of the referendum campaigns. So six months out of university, I worked on that. That was a baptism of fire, to say the very least. I then... After about a year and a half in that agency, which could be best described as scrappy, I think, let's go with diplomatically, I then moved into tech, which was Hotwire, much larger, very different, very different, a lot of structure to me going from a company that was, I think by the time I left my first agency, it was about 15 people to an agency that was like 300 across multiple countries is very, wow. very different. I mean, it's, it's not even that it's not even that big as agencies go, but a big difference compared to what I was used to. And that was very much B2B tech, coordinating European media responses, profiling CEOs, Qualcomm when they were in like a major legal dispute with Apple. I don't know if you you, you guys recall this. It was like 700 odd million. It was the largest legal dispute in tech history, coordinating all the European media around that. But what I really always loved, I loved media relations. I think larger agencies, the model of the kind of junior account exec, account exec, account manager, account director, you're kind of streamlined in a certain career path. I think I realized fairly swiftly that that wasn't for me. That 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 wasn't, you know, kind of perhaps being ushered down the path of account management and um, account planning and, and team structure. I'm not good at it. I never was and I never enjoyed it. Right. I always love media relations. I thought it's such an evolve. This is such an evolving thing. It's the most exciting thing. The thing I'm best at. I don't think you can ever become, you know, I don't think you can ever truly like master it in every sense. It's such mm. a I still think it's such a great skill and such a hard skill to, to, to get your head around. And the guy who was formerly CEO of that company, a guy called Brendan Craigie, we didn't actually overlap in our time. I think, I think we actually overlapped about two days during during our time at Hotwire. But he basically started Taito kind of, um, I was still at Hotwire. He started Taito. I thought what they were doing was especially interesting. 
he then actually reached out to me because we kind of had like a past connection in a previous life and I was putting out quite a lot of stuff on LinkedIn and he cottoned on to that and I'll talk about the, the power of that a bit later and then he said look I, I, I'm going to kind of tear up this model of like this kind of pyramid structure and I'm going to build a round table model with accounts you know people could be media specialists people are content specialists people are generalists if they want to be and I just I just said to him look I just want to do media I, I, I don't want to do anything else I just want to do media and he was like great and he just said, that's all I want you to do. I just want you to come here, everything kind of end to end, media council, media strategy, execution, the PR potato in the agency. And it was great for like three and a half years. It was, it was, it was really, it was fantastic, you know, kind of work with everyone across the B2B spectrum from like, you know, kind of plucky British startups to futurists, you know, businesses from, listed businesses from the US who wanted a presence in the UK, startups that raised capital, everything under the sun when it came to media relations, mm. B2B wise. But, you know, lockdown, a lot of time sitting at home, thinking about your life and, and, and what you want to do. And um, I always wanted to do my own thing. I had belief in myself that it was going to be a success, but you, you, you never know. But I always wanted just to give it a crack and, you know, I think COVID, people spent a lot of time thinking, oh, you know, what if, and life's too short. And um, yeah, decided to give it a crack in July 2021. And I'm now obviously a one-man band, operate with kind of multiple clients across the UK and the US, combination of agencies and director brand. And it's all media relations, as I say, yeah. tactical execution, strategy, counsel, provide training to agencies, kind of broader consultancy on how agency processes work. But that's that's essentially what, what what I've been doing for the last the last two years, and I'm fortunate enough, and you know, just to say it's it it couldn't have gone any better. It really could not have gone any better. I mean, that's that's where we are today, really. Brilliant stuff. I mean, it's it what's great as well, and I'm sure I speak for Jackie. I'm sure Jackie's going to sort of launch straight in because, as ever, Jackie will have she will inundate you with questions <laughs> here. But we have spoken a lot on the podcast about the fact that we're really keen to talk to people who specialize in certain areas of PR and comms. And I do think, I mean, we sort of touched on media relations before and my, my dad had done some media relations stuff when he came on the podcast recently. And I shouldn't really keep rolling my eyes when I mentioned my dad. He did very well. Yeah. And, you know, I was very proud of him after he came on the podcast. But I mean, before we kind of get on to, you know, sort of the many questions Jackie, I'm sure, has in terms of like kind of the pitching element and 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 that side of things. I mean, in terms of media relations and the landscape of media relations as it sits right now, I mean, you've been specializing in that, whether it be as an employee at an agency like Taito or, you know, as a freelancer, you must have seen quite a shift, even in a short space of time, even over the last five or six years. I mean, what's that shift been like, A, and B, I mean, like, is it constantly evolving? Do you see kind of even in the short term things changing, you know, day on day? Yeah, so I'd say... Let's perhaps look at the COVID effect first and then and then kind of contrast it before, after and, and during. I think COVID really did, particularly for the kind of more junior end of the PR spectrum, have a negative effect on the industry's ability to do media relations. And I think the reason for that is it, it, it's exacerbated the sense of distance between journalists and PRs. And that I think when it comes to junior PRs in particular, the, the, the fear of verbal rejection when everything is so digital, I think that's heightened a lot yeah. more than it used to be. Um, and I'm not necessarily saying this is perhaps a good thing, but I remember particularly when I, at, when I was at Hotwire, there was very much a view of like, you know, and I don't think this is the right way to go about it, right? But there was kind of a view of like, let's chase down these journalists over the phone let's 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 really try and get hold of them let's try and get feedback and i don't think that that is the right approach but i do think we've almost gone 
the industry is almost indexed a little too far the other way when it comes to actually having conversations, human conversations, not email conversations, human conversations with journalists. And it's meant that I think it's harder now, much harder for people who haven't had the years pre-COVID and might only have been starting out in PR during COVID or indeed after COVID to actually build those human relationships with journalists. And overall, you know, even for people who have been in the industry a lot time a long time i do think it's a lot harder than before you know prs still outnumber journalists like four or, or five to one at um least. yeah at least right um so, so it's funny i think in some senses it's a lot harder but then in others if you're good like i was speaking to a close journalist contact of mine at cnbc a couple of months ago and i said to him you know how how, how much the stuff that you get in your inbox is actually any good. I was like, of all these pictures you receive, how much is like you actually consider? And he was like, 5% maybe. But does he even even go through his inbox? Probably he looks at a head, just the header on the email and just delete, 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 delete. Because, I mean, these guys, how many emails do they get a day? I mean, I get a thousand a day and I'm just a PR. Exactly. God knows what I get. God knows, I, I don't want to think of the state of their inboxes. And I think just, you know, if you talk about like tips and tricks, that 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 bit of real estate on your subject line and the opening gambit, first of all, it's so important. And I don't think enough time is invested in that particular bit. And I think with regards to like just the industry and the landscape generally, I think probably three things I'd add, two of a similar nature. There's two characteristics and traits that I think were very present before COVID and I think now have really diminished somewhat. And those are curiosity and empathy. I think just curiosity, for instance, I remember in my more junior years, perhaps naive, I know this could have come from a place of naivety or, you know, or just lack of knowledge or, you know, if I wanted to find out how a particular program worked, there's a broadcast program. I wanted to find out how does this work? How do they source their guests? How do they package their features? How do they, how do they build stories? What kind of stories are they looking for? I would just call either the program producers or the switchboard or, or whatever and say, look, I'm looking to speak to this particular person. I don't, I'm just keen to understand a little bit more kind of in an exploratory manner about the program. Like, how does it work? And I always found journalists very receptive and I wouldn't be pitching something necessarily. I'd just be looking to understand how it worked, build a relationship with the producers, hopefully work on something down the line, not really going in with the hard sell. And then when it comes to empathy as well, I think that ties into empathy that it's like you're not just viewing a journalist relationship is transactional. You're viewing it as trying to build a genuine relationship, a genuine relationship with them. And those are two characteristics. And the reason why I speak about those two characteristics is you can have no experience, but you can have those two characteristics. Those plus diligence, if you deploy those properly, that can really make your PR career, and particularly in media relations, go stratospheric. 100%. I mean, did somebody teach you that? Or is that something that you have sort of self-analyzed and thought, okay, why media for me? What is it about me that makes me just click with media and it work, and I'm good at it? Was that taught or was that innate? I had a fantastic, I did have a, a brilliant mentor in my first agency. It wasn't the chap who ran the agency. It was another guy who ran, who run profile, who you of course have been kind of client lead on a few weeks ago, Jordan Greenaway. And he, he was brilliant. And he, he gave me a lot of kind of, advice and general counsel but I also kind of just had this view because I worked in a I think this is it because I worked in a place with so little structure and it was just kind of right you've just got to get this done by any means necessary 
it was tr- okay trial and error still remains the best way to do media like you almost like you get things wrong and you get things wrong and you get things wrong to get them right and then when you've got it wrong and you've made you made a mistake and you've you know it's it could have been a bad mistake it's like oh, well, I won't a I won't do that again b I've learned why that is wrong and c I think in smaller agencies where it's like you are just trying to kind of do what needs to be done to get the job done. There is an absence of process and structure. That's kind of when you learn these things. I think it's yeah. much, I think it would have been, it could, if I'd started in a larger agency, I think my trajectory could have been quite different. Yeah. I still think when you're early on in your career, in your PR career, a smaller agency is where you're going to learn your career. I don't want to be disparaging. It's, yeah. you know, it's it, you are really going to get much more in-depth uh, immediate experience than you will do in some of these sort of, behemoths that wouldn't even let you near a photocopier until you've had the training program (laughs) which is really really frustrating for those who are just keen to get on you said something there which really resonated with me you just keep trying and trying and trying and trying one of our guys Duncan he gave me the metaphor of a house he was saying this and I've been you know talking to the team about you know if you're locked out of your house you don't just go to the front door and think oh I'm locked out uh what do I do you think Shall I check the windows? Shall I go through the back door? Shall I shimmy up the drain pipe? Is the bathroom window open? Then finally, shall I call a locksmith to help me get somebody to help me get in? And he said, you know, those are the things that PRs need to be thinking about now. They, you know, they have their pitch, they have their end story. They know, hopefully, that it will be relevant and meaningful to the people they're pitching it to. Basic, but it doesn't happen quite a lot. And just keep trying. And when I started my career, I started in in telesales. I I sold advertising space, which is so hard to do. And you'd be lucky if you got through to a person in, you know, in a day. We had to do, in a day, we had to do 18 effective calls or we'd get sacked. And effective was getting through to the decision maker. So we were expecting, we were expecting 18 rejections a day. Because you always get, no, I don't want to, you know, first you're thinking, great, I've got through. Then you're like, well, I'm getting rejection, but at least I've got an effective call. So if my team were doing 18 effective PR calls a day, that would be a completely different thing. And that, but that's not possible, I don't think, because you said it yourself. We outstrip in numbers the journalists. The journalists have such a hard job to do. How do you start when you're identifying your journalist? How do you decide who to target and how to approach them? Because I think that's a really important part of the whole process. That's a fantastic, so much to dissect there. And that's a fantastic analogy about the house. I really, really That wasn't me, that. that was Duncan. No, 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 but well, kudos to Duncan. That's a fantastic <laughs> analogy. And I, and I, but before I break down the question, I think there's one thing I'm going to say here, and it's something I I talk about a lot in training sessions and also on LinkedIn. Kind of two points. I think one is resilience in PR because now look, PR isn't sales. It's 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 not sales, but media relations. There is there is a high degree of you know just just through a kind of more subtle and different means and by the vehicle of the media you are still promoting a product a service a company in a very similar way and that requires resilience like media relations requires resilience to be told repeatedly to piss off or you know no we're not interested it requires resilience and again i think that covid has really not helped because when people have 
it's not you know the industry's fault i think it's just the way that the, you know the kind of economic circumstances panned out there but when people were kind of sitting at home and weren't meeting journalists day to day and there weren't any kind of face-to-face -face events and there weren't conferences and there and there weren't kind of meetups people didn't get that first-hand experience and i think resilience it was much harder to build resilience during that period of time and and, and in pr you have to be resilient to do media relations you have to let feedback ride off you like water off a duck's back and, and and just keep on going and persevering and then also the other point i'd make there the phone so i talk about this a lot again because i'm probably still of this i'm probably like i think i was born in the wrong era sometimes i probably would have been better suited to like the 80s or, or something like <laughs> um but i still personally I'm a big advocate of the phone. Now, there is a way to use the phone and there is a, my God, there is a way not to use the phone. 100% there is a way not to use the phone. I've I've done it myself. I've made many a mistake. Calling a producer during a program is one of them many years ago. You know, we, we all make mistakes. It. Yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. <laughs> that's trial and error because that's, that's error, isn't it? <laughs> um, but don't trial that, kids. Um, the phone. I, I, I still view it as the most valuable vehicle and for, for, for building a, this goes back to the human relationships with journalists, right? Like some of my longer standing friendships from, yeah, I would say friendships with journalists. They're no longer journalist relationships. Yeah. Their friendships with journalists who I've known for years have been built via the phone. And I don't think it's used enough or in the right way. The default is email. And, you know, a lot of journalists, to be honest, a lot of journalists will say, don't call me, email me. And I get that because really they, they, they probably, a lot of them don't probably want to be called, but it wouldn't be, you know, sales a lot of it's done over the phone it's very very similar the, the, the resilience and the approach and, and 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 you know build and also it's human you're not speaking to a bot you're speaking to a human at the end of that email or the end of the phone i think people forget that and it goes back to the empathy point that was a roundabout way of, of of some of those points but to talk about how i kind of approach certain pieces of work so let's okay so let's say uh, a client has approached me with um, a piece of project work. I think I think it's easier to break it down by project work because retainers can kind of fluctuate and things can kind of be different and varied. So for project work, I'll, you know, typically the classic brief is we've had some decent trade traction with this client, but we're looking to up-level them into business or national media. And, and I think the funny thing is in media relations, some clients kind of think, oh, you know, how many different kind of materials do we need to send you? Do we need to send you like all our case studies, we need to send you releases, like do you want to see our blogs, et cetera. And the reality is less is more in like every single possible circumstance. The more information dense and rich a pitch that you're trying to put together is or a particular piece of activity that you're trying to do is, the harder it's actually going to be for the media to consume it and for it to be packageable and ready for the media. So I just say to them, look, so someone comes to me with that, with that you know, CEO looking to get them some kind of higher tier profile opportunities. I say, okay, Send me what you have so far, but keep it very limited. So like the classic one is just talking points. Like just send me the talking points that you have and that you're working with. Send me, you know, the company blurb, like a bit about the company, key stats, key geographies they're operational in, what the company does in a single line or less, big customer names, how many customers they have. And it's actually quite incredulous how few companies have that. It's kind of a bit worrying actually how few, because when I structure a pitch, I have a nice kind of, I'm forgetting the opposite of passive now. Active, active, that's it, sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'd gone completely there as well, by the way. I'd gone, I'd, I was like, you know, it's one of those where where you go, that's such an obvious opposite there. I'd gone completely there. I was like, yeah, just launch in, Lyle, with active. 
I wasn't active enough. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, sorry, you were saying, keep going, sorry. But no, no, you know, you have a nice active subject line, interview suggestion, James Smith, CEO of money. I'm just looking at a book in front of me and that's the first thing that's come to me. Yeah. Then, you know, a one-liner of what the company is. Then the company information. And mu- okay. Then company information, a bit of personal background. If, if they, if, if, should they have an actually interesting personal background? So they've been, they're the CEO of a cybersecurity company and they've been in the Israeli intelligence service. Like that's quite interesting, right? If they don't have something like that, that's cool. Like you can admit that. But if it is genuinely interesting, include it. Then I just keep it to like literally yeah. maximum of four points that are macroeconomic, geopolitical. You have to act as that bridge between what the media agenda is and what the client wants to say and make everything macroeconomic, macroeconomic. All that, That's always how I think about macroeconomic trends. How do I tie what the client wants to say to the media agenda and avoid any esoteric language? So I think Tom Bloomfield talks talk about this when he was building Monzo. And I think it's really interesting how he said, you know, you could define what Monzo is in like two different ways. Next generation banking platform or consumer bank providing financial services to 4 million customers in the UK. And I think that just summed it up kind of perfectly, I thought, because it's the same thing, but next generation banking platform leading my God. Everybody immediately goes. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> exactly people, people, people put you to sleep leading. everything's next generation next generation <laughs> that word leading needs to be in my mind be 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 gotten rid of and banished from pr interesting that okay banished. So when you write your pitches do your clients sign your pitches off or do you just go with it no i, no, you I, see, I, I don't share I... pictures I contend that it's the clients that usually chuck in that word. Oh, no, no, we're a leading developer. 100%, 100%. And, and I think sometimes, and I think COVID might have again affected this, sometimes juniors are just like, oh, I'll put it in then because the client said so. And there's no pushback or indeed no discussion up to say, listen, this is what the client wants. I don't think it's very good, but... Do you know what I mean? I think the people coming into the industry after post-COVID just don't have that kind of, I don't know what the word is. Directness. And, yeah. and, and yeah. actually, I th- actually, but I think the thing is that that lack of directness in their approach comes from a lack of confidence. Yeah. I don't think, and, and I think it goes back to, uh, you know, lack of confidence, the way that media relations done, lack of, resi- lack of resilience. And it all kind of, but I think the way to think, I always think about that is if I had a leak in my house and I needed to call a plumber, I wouldn't call a plumber and then be like, oh, sorry, I actually think you should go about fixing the problem this way. I'd just be like, okay, you're here to fix my problem. <laughs> like, just, you know, I, I'm not going to have a crack. Analogy. Do you know what I mean? There are people yeah. like that. There are people like that. There are, yeah, well, I, I, I'm certainly not one of them. A quick tangent on, on the leading thing, by the way, because, you know, I think we've all experienced it and I'm, I'm a big fan of like kind of like the bold statement of, yeah, let's get rid of leading. Sadly, that probably will not come to pass. But, you know, there's kind of a what versus why or what over why kind of situation, even with the word leading, because like, you know, the what can necessarily be that they are a leading organization in that particular field. Like that can be factually accurate, but you're so right. If you read leading in my head, like if I was analyzing something like that, I'd go, well, why is it that? Why is it leading? Like, I'd rather hear why it is. And like your four bullet points are really interesting there. It's like, okay, that, well, that, that tells me why. Instead of reading at the top, bowl leading. The four bullet points down the bottom. Tell me, yeah. Describe themselves as the leading soft drinks company in the world. 
That's it. I don't but, think but, so. But, 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 but I think the key thing there is, is why, why would they need to? If you need to put that in, it almost says something in itself, right? It's like the classic thing of like, you know, if you have a really flashy car, does that say something about something else you're compensating for? You never know. <laughs> like, if you, you know. Lyle, you... put your Maserati away. No, I was going to say, Connor, you're so right. Everything you're saying is absolutely spot on, which is why I drive a Mazda and I do not refer... <laughs> I do not refer to The Rest is PR as a leading business podcast. <laughs> we don't need to say that. We just know we are. Um, no, this is really interesting, actually. I mean, you talk about as well, before we before we went live and, and we were kind of doing it, listeners, I'm going to go full disclosure on this and full transparency. I was making the magic happen, albeit by accident, um, because uh, Demozo and Connor and Jackie and Connor may, may well be linking up because Connor does some absolutely amazing things in terms of the advice he is able to offer alongside his freelance PR work. I mean... Before we kind of come on to, you know, what your next steps are as a freelance professional and before we finish the, the pod, like just a little bit about on how you transmit this advice, because your advice already throughout this episode has been, been absolutely brilliant. But you mentioned before we went live that you actually have sort of mechanisms through which you deliver tips and tricks for pitching and things like that to your own clients in a kind of an advisory sense. Like, I mean, how, how do you go about doing that? And, and and what's the landscape of that currently for you? Yeah, so I do. I do offer that. So I, I what I package together is like a 10 training session package of various different things when areas when it comes to media relations, broadcasts, tips, tricks, do's and don'ts, funding round 101, Pitching like a pro, various tips for selling in a story, data stories, how to how to package them and how to sell them in. I think one thing I think that um, and this was certainly true when I was coming through the agency ranks, and I think it really is still true now, is that agencies really focus on things like your workplace personality, how to use this internal system, the importance of tracking holiday and why it matters for our business. OK, look. Timesheets. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Process. And, and like, okay, that look, that's, <laughs> that, that stuff's important. It's important, but way too much emphasis is placed on those things versus people actually improving at the job. It would be like, say, for instance, you were an Olympic athlete, right? Training day in, day out, but. 25% of your day was spent, I don't know. Recording your macros, working out what your carbs were against your protein and what, yeah. That's all secondary. It's about performance. It's about performance. So I offer this kind of package of training sessions, but then I also try to put out a lot of content on LinkedIn in a valuable way to create an industry discussion. I want kind of industry tips and tricks and best practice to be shared around because equally, I also think that sometimes PR can be a little bit of a closed book in that respect that, again, I could be wrong. There isn't as collaborative a feel with regards to, you know, because agencies vie against each other for pieces of business. But, you know, I don't think that's any reason why we shouldn't be supportive within the industry and, and, I and people should... I totally agree. You know, because everyone's just trying to do... Everyone's just trying to do their best. But I really do think that the training that I'm offering, I'm not going to say it's leading. I wouldn't dare say that. But uh, I just, I don't think that there's much in the industry that focuses on how we actually improve our skills of, of, of junior PR people and how they can improve and get better and develop. And I certainly wouldn't say that everything, that everything or necessarily anything I say is gospel, but I'm just it offering, helps. I like to think it helps mm. based on my experience and what I've been exposed to, the kind of clients I work with, that kind of thing. Well, no That's surprises, everybody, that, that um, Connor's going to be coming to a little demoso-shaped place soon. Um, 
I applaud you for doing this because in a week or so's time, I'm not sure exactly the date, but we're going to have the editor of Business Age coming and joining us and talking from the other side about what it's like to receive the pitches. Mm. And one thing that you said, which I really love, and I'm hoping that Charles will listen to this before he comes on our podcast, is that empathy for the journalist and for what they need to be doing. And I keep I keep saying this to my people, our editors and our journalists are serving their own masters. They're serving their readers, they're serving their bosses, they're serving the people that work around them, their ad sales people, they're serving a lot of masters themselves. So we genuinely have to really try very hard to target them with stories and content that we know that they would be interested in just blasting crap into people's mailboxes and i'm sure our agency is is responsible for some of that because that does happen within any agency and let's face it you cannot be perfect but if you can just at least make sure that your top tier target media are people that you've researched you understand you read their stuff you watch their stuff you listen to their stuff even that is going to get you one step further because what you're preparing to take to them is something that at least you know is something that they're really interested in. How do you do that? I mean, obviously that comes, I think, a lot with relationship building because you must have your top tier people that you talk to all the time. So I think this this is another thing. And this is something that I talk about a lot as well. 80% of pitching success is predicated on the media list. And I really think it's that high. If you can get the media list right, Make it targeted, tailored. Look, it seems like an arduous job, right? It is an arduous job. And it's it is an arduous juniors. job. Yeah, it's, right. Okay, okay, exactly. It's an arduous job, but it's the most important part of the job. It's funny, my old agency at Taito, initially when I first started, based on my hours, people were like, why have you done this many hours already on this client when we haven't actually started the pitching yet? And then I'd learn, behold, I'd do the pitching. I'd spend far fewer far fewer hours and time on it because I'd done all the, the really hard work with the media list. What I mean by this, I don't just mean go on Rocks Hill or Gorkana and check the t- titles there. Or st- I mean go on each publication, go on each journalist, look at what each of them cover, understand their beats, understand how they structure their stories. Right, this is another pet peeve of mine. Master lists, ditch them. <laughs> ditch them entirely. They breed complacency, they, they do. You should do in new every ones for sense, every, piece, every of piece of activity a master list. I agree. And, good God, every piece of activity a master list. Every piece of activity a new list. <laughs> Get rid of master list entirely. I think there's this. You know, I think it's one of these things of oh, it, it would be a nice to have, but no one, no one will ever actually consistently update it. It gets pushed to the more junior members of the team. Media lists. Eighty percent of pitching success is in the media list. Like. Let's say the project is around a funding round across multiple different verticals, media types. It should be at least like a half day or a full day job. And then the pitching is secondary. If you do all of that well, the pitching will fall into place. Fine, not everyone's going to apply to you, obviously, but it just makes the whole job simpler. And I always say to people when I deliver this training, I was like, oh, you know, and this is another industry I think is very guilty of, of perhaps making similar errors to PR. I say, okay, recruiters. You get contacted by a recruiter. What don't you like? Oh, they 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 clearly haven't like looked at my own experience. Yep. 
they clearly haven't kind of just you know thought about my level and what I might be well suited for. Yep. Yeah. They clearly haven't tailored the message to me and to where I'm at in my career and what they think I might be looking for next. I'm like, yeah, are you, are you starting to get the pet peeves of journalists? Yes. That that is the media list. The media it, it really is eighty percent of the success and just not enough time. I think you know, but lots of people. I think lots of agencies are kind of like, oh, you know, that's a half hour job. Let's just get that done quickly. Get it together. Fire it out. I'm like. No, it's uh, flip it completely. Flip it. Mm. The, it. It's a pyramid. Like the the hard, the, the biggest piece of work is at the bottom, and then the pitching, and then you get closer and closer, and it's actually less work because you should have done the hard work already. Yeah. It's like building a house. How about to houses? Well, laying the groundwork, isn't it? It's a exactly. cliche, but it's quite literally. It's it's it literally is why it exists as a as a well trodden out phrase, isn't it? It's like if you lay the groundwork, then it makes things easier as you move forward. You're so right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think when I build a media list and and when I go about any piece of activity media wise, I think, okay, what is the societal importance of this client or story or piece of content right now? Why does it matter at this very moment? Was it something that I remember, for instance, graphene back like five or six years ago was like the next big thing. Graphene's going to be innovative and it's going to do this and do that. It never really took off. Like if you were talking about graphene six, seven years ago, it was like it was like really cool and innovative. Now, no one really cares. So is it important right now? What does what the story you're telling tell us about the future? What does it indicate about the past, perhaps? Where, where's the trend that, that we can go along there? Why should a journo care? Like, really? Why should they care? There has to be a reason. Um, and are they the right person to tell the story? And I think those are the questions that I kind of run through. It's almost like innate now, but that I run through before any piece of pitchy activity when building a media list. And if you can take the time to get the media list right and think through those questions carefully, the entire pitching process should hopefully, with the right, you know, well-constructed pitch, fall into place. But the media list is, is crucial and I just and not enough emphasis is placed on the time and effort and diligence that is required to put one together. There you go. Agencies out there media lists right and i've done them before and i did spend a lot of time on them when i started out at demozo before i was kind of you know i always self-promoted myself to podcast host just by kind of like beating the door down but i did do them and they are important you're absolutely right and in my capacity as a marketing director of my theater company as well we've recently put together a media list and it's very targeted and i drive my colleagues insane because actually some of them are like oh vast amounts of we should just be hitting everybody i'm like no no, 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 don't hit everyone. Like, you know, literally it's like, you know, go if you're in a fight, you've been great at analogies and I'm terrible at analogies. If you're in a fight, you're not just going to hit everybody, are you? You're going to like find somewhere you, you back yourself against and then fight them. <laughs> uh, you're not just going like, to try and punch everyone because you're definitely going to lose. That's a terrible analogy. Don't quote me on that. I don't encourage violence. Um, but Connor, thank you. Thank you so much for, for for being on the podcast with us. The final question I have for you, and I think it's a really exciting one because I think your your advice and your expertise and your insight has been so, so brilliant. We really thank you for that. And um, I think Connor's got to come back. I, I think we've got to line up a few we do. topics for Connor. It's to maybe after Charles. Get Connor to listen to what Charles has to say and come back with a, this is what I'm talking about kind of podcast. You're absolutely right, because I would love some feedback from a genuinely, you know, enthusiastic and expert PR professional such as yourself, Connor, to what Charles... I've been doing documents for Charles. If Charles is listening, I've been doing a document to prepare for that episode in a few weeks' time. And I'm I get terrified. In a china shop. He's, I'm terrified of him. And he's just going to absolutely sort of mow through everything I believe about good PR. Um, but I'd love you to come back and do some feedback and also sort of tell us a bit, little bit about what your, what your kind of career is doing in a few months. And, and that's actually kind of leads me on to my next question, which is what does the immediate future hold for Connor Mitchell? Like what's, 
what's it looking like for you in the next few months and for the rest of the year really because you must be absolutely if this current friday is anything to go by you must be stacked moving forward i mean what's what's up next for you First of all, I would love to come back on the podcast. That would be fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on this time. My plan, various people have asked me in the long term, do you plan on building an agency yourself? I can tell you honestly, I have absolutely no intention of doing that. No and behold, we'll come back five years and potentially I've <laughs> I've built an agency and I live to regret that comment. But look, right now and over the course of the last two years, you know, my, my experience as a freelancer and everything I've seen in the last kind of seven and a half or so, and how I'm feeling right now. I have no intention of doing that, and I plan on remaining a one-man band for the foreseeable future. I think, as we were discussing in, in, in the preamble before before we kind of went live, things seem to kind of go in waves for the way that business is going for me. And I always feel as though after, there seems to be kind of apexes that we kind of hit, and then and then it kind of moves on to the next level, and it makes me hungrier to to push on and see what I can do next. And I feel as though... I think the last week, it feels as though we're kind of at another point in that cycle where things have just have, have just kind of gone up another level, I'm very pleased to say. And with that, I think, comes the evolution of the kind of service I can offer. So an agency I've been speaking to, really, really interesting piece of work for a, an agency model that I'm, I'm very excited by. And it's quite aligned with, I think, the kind of agencies I'm perfect to partner with, which is kind of like the startups and scale ups of this world. And they basically asked me to come in and kind of assess, get under the hood of their business and assess their media relations processes um, and how that really, really interesting piece of work, almost like management consultancy. Yeah, it's like the sort of an Accenture kind of. Yeah, I love that. I think that's really smart, really smart. Who's that agency? I need to get them on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we can talk after um, um, but they, you know they've asked me to come in and kind of do a holistic assessment of how they do things how they structure things their processes their distribution strategies their media list strategies and and, and then put together like a series of recommendations so we're gonna be, be working on that I'm very open to doing more work like that it sounds like a really exciting piece of work yeah, and then also on like the personal branding side I've really tried to kind of double down on LinkedIn in the in, in the last three months or so and, and and try to connect with as many different people in the industry as possible and kind of consume more pieces of kind of advisory content and I think that I think LinkedIn has really changed since COVID. In it, actually, in, you know, people have various different views. I think in a good way because I think the the amount of valuable content you can glean from there is it's, it's significantly higher than it used to be. And so I'm trying to, I'd really like to position myself as as kind of an advisor for for, for other PRs, other agencies, or media relations offer really valuable insight and advice and actually allow best practice to. We need to set you up as the PR inspector. <laughs> You're like the hotel inspector. Goes in. And like, I love it. Hey, I, can see, I can see a TV idea. Like a PR inspector. That's that Channel 4. Is it Channel yeah. 4? That's all. <laughs> I think, I think, I mean, Channel 4, great. And I don't want to slander Channel 4. I think we aim higher there. I can see Netflix. I can see, you know, I can see Sky, you know, all this sort of stuff. I mean, I think this is absolutely perfect. And and Connor, again, once again, thank you so, so much for, for being on this episode. And Jackie's so right. We'll have to have you back on to sort of talk more about what you're up to. I look forward to, um, hopefully, if the podcast has this level of longevity in two or three years' time, I look forward to introducing. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Rest is PR. We're here with uh, one of our favourites, uh, a favourite guest of ours, Connor Mitchell, who's um, the uh, founder and CEO of the PR agency. Um, and I'd like to just play back something that uh, Connor said uh, two years ago. 
I'll have said the podcast if we have that fact. Oh, no, 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 what you're doing is absolutely brilliant and the insight you've offered has been amazing and and I also think like as a freelancer myself like I'm an actor on top of everything else I do like I I love hearing success stories of how people kind of go it alone and something they're really interested and passionate about and um, it's just a, it's such a thrill to hear how well you're doing and that you've got sort of you're, yeah, you're managing really to find a way to diversify your work as well which I think is really as a freelancer is really important as well like kind of the more you can do to kind of diversify your outreach and what you do and your output is absolutely amazing and 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 if you would have us we would love to have you back in a, in a few months time if, if you're willing it'd be great that's fantastic thank you so much Lyle. I've thoroughly enjoyed the episode and the chat with yourself and 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 Jackie and just hearing insights and different perspectives and it's been great thank you so much and I'm looking forward to uh, to to massively not even third wheeling. I'm looking forward to kind of like leaving the conversation about 10, 15 minutes time and 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 just hearing after the event that Jackie and Connor have like kind of arranged some sort of demozo slash Connor uh, agreement. <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing all about that after the event. But thank you so much, listeners, for being with us once again on the rest is PR. Few quick T's and C's, few quick kind of things to mention at the end of the episode, as we always do. If you want to get in touch with us to suggest a topic, or if you even want to be a guest on the podcast, the wonderful Sam. Patch it from profile, got Connor in touch with us, which is great. And we've got a lot of brilliant guests coming on in the next few weeks and you can be one of them. So if you want to do that, if you want to come on the podcast, you can email us info at the rest is PR.com. You can go to our website, the rest is PR.com. You can also email us info at demozo.com. And obviously you can of course go to demozo.com as well to check out what demozo have been up to get in touch with us via LinkedIn. As Connor says, LinkedIn I believe and I agree with kind of going from strength to strength, not just in terms of kind of the output that you can read and kind of the advice you can glean from professionals like Connor, but also networking, right? You know, getting in touch and messaging fellow professionals. And we've had lots of guests who come on the podcast who've messaged either Jackie or myself on LinkedIn. And you can do just that. And you can also follow us at The Rest Is PR on Twitter, capital T, capital R, capital I, capital PR. Jackie, same time next week. What do you reckon? Yeah, definitely. Let's do it. We've got some really exciting guests coming up, including Charles, who I'm going to have to prep myself for. Very and good. Listening. We're really excited. It's going to be good fun. And then we'll have Connor going to fight back in a few weeks <laughs> after that. But in preparation for that, you can look forward to that, listeners. But in the meantime, thank you so much for listening to the latest episode of The Rest is PR from Connor, Jackie, and myself. It's bye for now. <laughs>